0: Hope you're doing well, um, and uh, happy Father's Day. So glad that you are here on this uh, special day. My kids were in Atlanta with their grandparents over the past uh, week, which was probably my Father's Day gift, and um, they had a good time, but uh, while they were there, they uh, surprised me this morning. They had made birdhouses for me. Oh, I got this one turned around. They had made birdhouses for me and uh, for Father's Day, and so I opened these this morning. This is my Father's Day gift, and I guess because I'm your pastor, I get to share it with you. But can you tell which one is the girls? <laughs> the eight-year-old girl, Sydney, this is hers. It's perfectly painted, and it's pretty, and it has pink and red on it. And then my son, everything the kid has is orange everything his crocs all of his shoes his shirts his you know pajamas everything that he has in his house is orange so he painted his everything we have' in, in, that's his in our house is orange and um, so he painted this orange and uh, orange defines my son it's not like a little passing thing here he's five and he's loved orange since he was about like uh, three years old which is a problem for me because I I'm a University of Georgia Bulldog fan. <laughs> Red and black, right? Okay. Every team that we don't like has orange. I mean, you know, Clemson. Sorry, everyone that's a Clemson fan. You know, Auburn. <laughs> oh, gosh. Florida. Please, Lord help me on that one. But anyway, uh, so that's his present, and so I'll be hanging those up here today. And uh, I, I love Father's Day. I love Mother's Day and Father's Day, but dads, we get a bum rap, don't we? Let's face it. We get a bum rap because there's, there's Christmas. You know, Hallmark has said there's Christmas, and Hallmark has said um, there's Easter, and then what has Hallmark said? There's Mother's Day, okay? And then there's like 10 holidays, and then there's Father's Day. You know, with the mothers, you guys get a nice spring day with all the flowers blooming, Dads, we get a day in the middle of summer where it's hot and our kids are out of school and they're mentally disengaged, and in some cases they're gone, and that's Father's Day for us. We get to watch the U.S. Open at about ten o'clock tonight, so um, that's that's uh, Father's Day, and I'll stop my whining now. But I um, I came upon this and I, I thought it was funny, so I thought I'd read it here for Father's Day. This is an anonymous story about a father who um, uh, how a father of five. Children and how he spends his Father's Day. And it's kind of in the same spirit of what I've been saying. He says this. For Father's Day, I give each of my five kids $20 so that they can go out and buy me a Father's Day gift. A total of $100. So they go to the store, and they buy two packages of underwear, each of which costs $5, and contains three shorts, he says. They tear them open, and each kid wraps one pair of underwear, and the sixth one goes to the Salvation Army. So for Father's Day, he says, I'm walking around with my new underwear, and my kids are walking around with $90 worth of my change in their pocket. (laughs) Oh, that's just great. Oh, I can promise you I'm not giving either of my kids $20 for Father's Day. Um, it just Father's Day for me brings back a, a lot of great memories of growing up with you know dad and and a lot of great things and my dad is 66 this year and doing great and I'm just proud of him and excited for his life but I want to ask you dads uh, if you can remember that that time that you became a father that moment that you became a father and for some of you it was in a hospital room for others of you it might have been uh, in front of a uh, um, Someone who uh, helped you through an adoption, a counselor or an attorney. Some of you became dads suddenly. Some of you became dads over a, a course, the course of nine months. And um, I don't know about you dads, but I remember that day. I remember the day that my firstborn, Sydney, who is now eight, was born. We, uh, we went to the hospital on Saturday morning. We were living in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was taking my sweet time because it was Saturday and I thought there wouldn't be any traffic and I was wrong. It was bad on 285, and so we slowly got to Northside Drive, my blood pressure going up uh, very quickly as we got further and further, or as we got closer and closer to Northside Hospital, and the maternity wing there of Northside Hospital must have been busy that day because um, it was kind of like no room at the end kind of thing, and uh, they were really, really busy, but somehow we got put up in the nicest room. At Northside Hospital, first floor, we walked in, and there we were, and it was this huge room, just this massive room. I told Cynthia it was like a hotel room, and she didn't really agree with me after the day was done. But uh, it was a big room, and there was a big TV up, and it was June the 5th, 2004. And if you remember, June the 5th, 2004 was the day that President Reagan died. And I thought, you know, to myself, this is my chance to maybe lobby my wife for a different name. You know, to celebrate this president, let's name her Reagan instead of Sydney, which is a name that we had thought a lot about. Total crash and burn. That did not happen. Um, I thought about saying the Gipper. They call her Gipper Cullen, but that really didn't work. And um, so that would have been just terrible for her. Um, but uh, Sydney was born at just a little bit after 8 a.m. that next morning on Sunday morning. And she was born uh, Sunday morning, a little bit after, 8 o'clock. She came into this world, and I was excited, and there was a few moments there that she had little problems, and they rushed in, and they fixed her up, and she was fine. And uh, I made sure that the baby was okay, and that mom was okay, and I said, okay, now can I go tell the parents? And Cynthia's like, yes, you can go tell the parents. So I ran outside and busted through those doors in the waiting room, and, you know, you don't say we had a girl. Anymore, or a boy, because most of the time, you know, we know, especially control freaks like me, we want to know, you know, what the gender of the child is. So I said, We have a baby. And I was saying it, and with tears, and my parents were hugging me, and it was a great time. It was really neat. I had no clue what I was in for. I had no clue at that moment. It was such a joyous time. It was such an emotional time. It was so much fun. But I didn't have a clue. Cynthia and I neither of us had a clue of what parenting was going to be like, and I don't think you really do understand what being a parent's like until you experience it. Am I right, moms and dads? We really don't know until we experience it. I mean, we had read, I had even read most of the books, what not to expect when you're expecting ladies, and all these other books that Cynthia put in front of me. I was a good husband, and I read all the books, and we watched the DVDs, and we got online, and we tried to find out everything about having a baby and then having a child and being a parent. But nothing, nothing beats experience. Being book smart does not make you a good parent, does it? And so over the course of these last eight years, I've learned a lot. And I've learned a lot about life, and I've learned a lot about kids, and I've had some wonderful moments, and I've had some terrible moments, moments that I'm pretty embarrassed about. Uh, But there's something that I learned about myself through being a parent over these past eight years, and now we have two, um, is that pretty much the way that my parents raised me is the way that I parent. And I know that like we kind of go through life and we think about all those things in our lives that we don't want to be like our parents in terms of raising our children. We might even have a checklist of the way we want to be like our parents and the way we don't want to be like our parents. But pretty much in terms of raising children, it's hard to get away. It's very natural to be uh, like your parents were in raising your own children. And I've found that to be really true. I've found that the way that my mom and dad disciplined me, my natural tendency is to discipline the same way. The way that my mom and dad loved me and cared for me and provided emotional support is pretty much the way that I have a tendency to raise my children. I thought growing up, the things that my parents said to me, I will never say to my kids. Guess what? I say the same things that my parents said to my kids. And so I got thinking about this recently in preparation for Mother's Day and Father's Day that we really are a reflection of how we were raised. Whether we were raised by an aunt or an uncle or a mother and a father or grandparents or a combination of all of the above, we're a reflection of how we were raised. And then I got thinking about this. In terms of our spiritual lives, we're a reflection of God. And our parenting style and who we are as people and how we live life is really a reflection of not just our earthly parents, but it's a reflection of our heavenly dad. And I want to explain that term later in today's message, that term dad. This morning on Father's Day 2012, I really want to simply remind us of three extremely important attributes of our heavenly dad that I believe if we can't get our minds and our hearts around, it's going to be very difficult for us to love the way that God loves us. And Dad, specifically for you today, it's going to be very difficult for you to parent and be a dad that loves the way our Heavenly Father loves us and parent the way that our Heavenly Father loves Loves us. Now, I want to preface today's message with several possible ways that you can apply these truths. First of all, there are some of you in here who are going to recognize these truths this morning. You're going to recognize these characteristics of, of God, our heavenly daddy. And I want to encourage you, if you are parenting that way, keep on doing what you're doing. If you're loving your children the way that we're going to talk about this morning, keep on doing it. Maybe you need to tweak some things, but keep on keeping on. There are those of you who are dads and moms And you, like myself, will find in some of these characteristics, you fall woefully short. You just are uh, inept or insufficient on some of these things. And my prayer for you is that you can understand how God loved you so that you can pass that and reflect that down to your children or those important people in your lives, maybe even grandchildren. And then finally, there are going to be some of you, as I talk about these three characteristics of God today, our heavenly daddy, you're going to be angry. I'm just being honest with you. You might even be a little bit bitter. You might feel like you've been cheated because the way that you were parented as a child is exactly the opposite of the way that we're going to describe this morning. And for you, my prayer for you this morning is that when we're done, you can feel like you can reach up to your heavenly daddy and say, please, reparent me. Do what my parents couldn't or didn't do. Before we dive in, let's pray this morning. Father God, be with us as we look to you, our heavenly daddy, our heavenly father. I pray that you would guide our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would guide our minds and our hearts, and that we would be changed from the inside out based on your word and who you are as our heavenly daddy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What attributes do you see in your heavenly daddy? That's what we're gonna be taking a look at this morning. Three of them, the first one just diving right in is a great provider, a great provider. That's the first one, it's a great provider. Now, when I say that word provider in our perpetual recession days that we're experiencing right now, that word is a hot button because it is very difficult to be a provider in these days and ages, isn't it? It's difficult to be a provider if you're a single dad or a single mom. It's difficult to be a provider even if you're heading into retirement because things have changed. It's very difficult to be a provider for your family if you have two or six kids. It's very difficult to be a provider. And so, before we talk about this idea of providing, I want us to get around the concept, our minds and our hearts around the concept that what God says about being a provider is maybe different than what the world tells us. What the world tells us is that we just have to bring in the money, just bring it in. I mean, I was raised in a great Christian home, but my, my dad was a very successful businessman. He grew up in a very poor environment. He's 66 years old now, and he spent 33 years, half of his life with one company. He was uh, not educated very well. He got his associate's degree out of college but didn't go on and finish four years. He was in the Navy, and uh, he got out, and he started in a business, and it failed. And then he started another business, and, and it didn't go so well. And finally, he found his career path with a company called Linear Business Products, and for 33 years, he had a career. And for most of that time, he sold dictation equipment to doctors and lawyers, and he was extremely successful despite his humble beginnings But I grew up in a home where being a financial provider was kind of the top calling for men. That's what you had to do, is you had to be a man that brings in a lot of money. And that's the kind of environment that I grew up in. And I'm so thankful for parts of that, because my dad taught me what hard work is like. He taught me what being driven is like. But during my first couple years of being married, I was anything but a provider for my wife. I was anything but. In fact, she had the steady job. She's been in church work this August 20 years, and while her paycheck was pretty small, it was consistent. I was in sales, and I was on a draw. And some of you, when I say that word draw, you shudder, because that is not a fun thing. You have to pay back what your company pays you with a draw, and it's not a whole lot of fun. I was on, then I went from draw to being on commission, and that even got worse, And I had good days and a lot of bad days in sales, and I just wasn't making much money. And I had my identity in the fact that I was supposed to be a financial provider for my family. And I do believe that the Bible speaks to that, but for a long time, I struggled with my own insecurities, and I felt insufficient about being a financial provider for my family until I realized Two different things about what God intends for a provider to be. First of all, my first realization I came to was that trusting for the future meant trusting God for the future and not trusting me for the future. And that was very difficult for me to come to. It was a very difficult realization for me to come to. I had a trust that I could provide, and as time went on, and I didn't, I was losing faith in me. But what I didn't realize is I really wasn't losing faith in me. I began to lose faith in my heavenly daddy, and I began losing faith that he would take care of us. Matthew 6, 25 and 26 speaks to this idea of God being our provider, that great provider. Take a look with me at Matthew 6, 25 and 26. The verses will be on the screen this morning. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or about your body, what you will wear. It's not more important than food. Is, it, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet our Heavenly Father, help me with this last part, feeds them. He feeds them. I want you to realize that this morning. He feeds them. In your absence of being able to take care of your family or provide financially for yourself or for someone else who you love, your Heavenly Father can feed you your heavenly father has the ability to take care of you. And he goes on and he says, are you not much more valuable than they, those birds of the air, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Now, this passage doesn't say that we ought to be lazy and that we ought to kick back and just allow things to unfold as they unfold. And if I make money, I make money. If I don't make money, I don't make money. I believe what this scripture is telling us. I want you guys to catch this is that, in our jobs, in our roles, whether it's husband or wife or couple or single, whatever the case may be, in our roles as Christ followers, we have a responsibility to toil and to work hard in the area that God's gifted us and in the opportunities that he's brought across our paths. But I want you to capture this. He is the one who's the provider, not you. And when you make that shift from being self-reliant To God-reliant, there's a lot of pressure that comes off your plate. And there's a lot of weight that comes off your shoulders to know that he will provide. It doesn't mean you don't work hard. It doesn't mean that you're lazy. It doesn't mean that you pursue every opportunity that God's given you. But it means that you trust him and that you become God-reliant and not self-reliant. There's a second thing that I realized, and that is, is this whole idea of provision. We've made up in our society what that means And largely, when we hear that word, what do we equate it with? Money. Money, we equate being a provider with money. But look at what God provides for each one of us spiritually. He doesn't just provide money. He provides all kind of spiritual blessings. The first thing he gave us is through Jesus Christ, his son, the death on the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. We can have eternal life in heaven. That's one of the things he provides. That's the best thing that he provides, isn't it? Eternal life with God one day in heaven. He provides all the spiritual things that we need for us. He provides emotional safety. He provides spiritual riches like spiritual gifts and those spiritual fruit that we are talking about this summer. He provides life-sustaining resources for us while we're here on earth. He provides the power to overcome sin because he gives us the power to provide that, to, to overcome sin. And so you may find dads or moms, if you're feeling insecure about your role as a provider, that you're not just a monetary provider. You provide your family with other things. Maybe you provide them with emotional support when they're going through a tough time. Maybe you provide them with good leadership when a difficult decision has to be made. That never happens in a family, does it? (laughs) Maybe you provide calm in the midst of a storm. Maybe you're the one that's providing shelter, and food to someone else when they can't have it themselves. So being a provider doesn't just mean monetary. There are so many other things, and that's such a wide umbrella compared to what the world tells us and compared to what society tells us. So if you're here this morning and you're insecure about this, I understand that. I've been through that. My challenge to you is place your trust in God to provide for you. Place your trust in In God, to provide for you. Work hard, find your skill set, go to work. We'll have a message on that at some point in time. Go to work, work hard, because the Bible has a lot to say about that, but then trust in him. I was talking with a friend recently, and he said, you know, I have a tendency, he was admitting a weakness, I have a tendency that when God provides and when an opportunity comes along, I lean into that opportunity, and I take it, and I say, thanks, God, I've got it from here, (laughs) And that's very different than completely trusting in him for the opportunities he's given. Trust in God to provide. But there's a second characteristic of God I want to talk about this morning, and that is this, a compassionate defender. He's a compassionate defender. When I hear those words put together, there's something emotionally that stirs in my heart. I don't know about yours. Some of you probably grew up in a family where you're like, yeah, I can see my dad being a defender But man, not that compassion thing. Not that compassion thing. That is a struggle for me. Well, our heavenly father, our heavenly daddy is a compassionate defender. Look at Psalm 68, verses 4 through 6. One of my favorite psalms. The psalmist says, sing to God. Sing praise to his name. Extol him who rides in the clouds. His name is the Lord. And rejoice. There's that word from last week, by the way. Have joy before him. Rejoice before him. And then I want you to capture this. Please don't miss this. A father to who? The fatherless. A father to the fatherless. A what? A defender of the widows. Is God in his holy dwelling? It says in verse six, God sets the lonely in families. That doesn't mean he adds lonely to families. It means that he corrects the lonely in families. Are you with me this morning? Some of you are in family units that are broken apart. They're not the norm. They may be different. They may be difficult. God is the one that can set the lonely in your family. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Love that psalm. A father to the fatherless. Some of you needed to hear just that on this Father's Day, that he is the one that can be your daddy. I read an article, this was a number of years ago, in the Island Packet. It was a great article, and it was by a local author, and I wish I had clipped it out, but I have some memory of it. And he said he he, uh, was writing this article about being a father. I think it was around Father's Day or Mother's Day maybe when he wrote this. And he wrote this piece, and basically what he said is he said, as a daddy, what I've learned to do is, especially at night, I've learned to be the sheriff of the house. And I'm like, man, I like that. That sounds really good, you know, the gunslinging sheriff of the house, you know. Man, that's not as easy done as it is said, being the sheriff of the house. We went through a period of time with Sean when he was about three years old where he was having night terrors. Any parents remember night terrors? He was having terrible dreams in the middle of the night and getting up all night. and It was just a a, a real ordeal to get him in bed. And I remember reading that article and I remember saying to Cynthia, man, I'm going to start being the sheriff of the house at night. Now, you can ask Cynthia, I'm not a nighttime person at all. She's a musician, so she gets the nighttime thing. I'm not. I'm not a nighttime person. So, like, I just want to, like, have her put the kids in bed, and I want to go to bed, too. She could put, you know, them in bed and then put me in bed, and I'd be fine with it. But I realized at night, for that period of time, I needed to be the sheriff. And this author went on to describe how he did this. He said, I would literally at night stand at the doorway of my children's rooms with my legs spread apart at shoulder length and my hands on my hips and I'd look in their rooms and I'd check and make sure they're okay. Instead then I'd walk away and I'd walk down the hallway and I'd go to the next room and do the same thing. And the next room and do the same thing. And I'd walk through the house and make sure all the doors were locked and make sure that my family wouldn't be vulnerable to what might happen on the outside. Dads, We have a little bit of a responsibility to be the sheriff, don't we? Not the gun-slinging, gun-toting, shooting everything in the house kind of sheriff, but the one who finds his family safety because that's what God provides for us. He provides safety. He's our compassionate defender. And for some of you this morning, you're like Sean was. You're waking up in the middle of the night worried about what the next day holds You're waking up in the middle of the night wondering what tomorrow is going to be like, how you're going to provide for your family, what you're going to do to sustain them, what you're going to do to sustain yourself. Take solace. Find comfort is the way I phrased it, in his protection and care for you. Find comfort in his protection and care for you. Hear me this morning. He cares for you. He cares for you. And finally, our last one this morning, our last characteristic is an affectionate daddy. An affectionate daddy. Um, I I know I'm an eight-year-old dad, (laughs) and I know I have a lot to learn, but one of my favorite things about being a dad, and it doesn't happen every night, it doesn't happen every day, sometimes there's weeks that go by without this happening, and I don't say anything about it, even though I want it every night is when I come home from work or being out or you know, something for a few hours and the kids come running around the corner and sometimes they slip in the kitchen because they fall on our old linoleum and they, fall, they, they come in around the corner and they wrap their arms around my neck and they say what? Daddy, Daddy. It's such a term of endearment. It's a term of intimacy. And Jesus used this same term when he was anticipating his death in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14, 36. He cries out, thinking about what he's about ready to go through, and he cried out, and he used an Aramaic word called Abba, Father. And he was crying out to God. I don't think as much out of desperation about what was going to happen, but I think he was even more crying out to God because that was the most intimate, most affectionate term that he could use, Abba. Daddy, Father, he says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus used this term for our heavenly daddy, our heavenly father, Abba, father. We kind of think in our minds that he was crying out because he was scared. I think he was crying out because he knew that was the most intimate name that he could call his father, Daddy and some of us have lost the idea that our relationship with our heavenly father is like a daddy it's that intimate it's that affectionate and it's that time that we can wrap our arms and cry out to him and say daddy romans 8:15 paul used the same term he said for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear but you received the spirit of sonship we'll also say daughtership okay ladies And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. You know what he's talking about here? Paul is talking about the fact that when we say yes to God, when we say yes to the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus, we become adopted into the family of God. I want you to hear this this morning. Please, if you you miss everything else I've said, don't miss this. He chose you. He is pursuing you. And maybe you're in here today and you've never accepted him as your Savior, and you need to hear that. And maybe your challenge is today to accept him as your personal Savior. But I would imagine there are more than one Christ follower in this room who need to hear that God is pursuing you. We talk a lot about us pursuing God here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. We talk about all those things that we need to do to reach out to him, to be involved in prayer and Bible study and fellowship with other believers. But I want you to hear this this morning. He is pursuing you. He did it when he sent his son to die on the cross, and he continues to do it in your spiritual journey with him. He's daddy. He loves you, and he cares for you, and he provides for you. In fact, he's such a great daddy that James 1.17 says this. Think about these words. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Somebody told me last week that um, raising kids from the ages of 5 to 12 is just awesome. And he said, at 12 years old, something takes over their bodies, and then we get them back when they're 18. And I'm like, that's pretty good advice. I'll remember that as my kids get closer to that age. But you know, there's something innocent and sweet when our kids ask us for something. It can be annoying at times, parents. But when they ask us for something, it's like, you know what, you can do anything. You can provide anything for me, Mom and Dad, so I'm going to ask for it. And I think we miss that with our Heavenly Father, that He can provide anything for us. He can provide what we need. He can fill the void of where our emotions run dry and our spirit loses its faith. He can provide. And so the last challenge is rest in His love and His devotion to you. Rest in His love and devotion to you he's pursuing you he loves you and he's daddy and I think if we can get our minds and our hearts around those three characteristics of God that he's the great provider he's that compassionate defender and he's our affectionate daddy I think if we can get our minds and our hearts around that I think then we can truly love and we can truly parents parent our children and those around us I want to conclude today by reading an excerpt from an article that Irma Bombeck wrote some time ago. I love Irma Bombeck from years ago about being a dad. She said this, I received a letter from a single mother who had raised a son who was about to become a dad. Since he had no recollection of his own father, her question to me was, what do I tell him a father does? Irma says, when my dad died in my ninth year, I too was raised by my mother, giving rise to the same question, what do fathers do? As far as I could observe, they brought the car around when it rained so everyone else could stay dry. They always took the family picture, which is why they were never in them. They carved turkeys on Thanksgiving. They kept the car gassed up. They weren't afraid to go in the basement. Okay, I still am afraid to go in the basement, by the way. They mowed the lawn. They tightened the clothesline. You can see how old this is to keep it from sagging. It wasn't until my husband and I had children that I was able to observe firsthand what a father contributed to a child's life. What did he do to deserve his children's respect? He rarely fed them, did anything about their sagging diapers, (laughs) wiped their noses or fannies, played ball or bonded with them under the hood of their cars. What did he do? He threw them higher than his head until they were weak from laughter. He cast the deciding vote on the puppy debate. (laughs) He listened more than he talked. He let them make mistakes. He allowed them to fall from their first two-wheel bicycle without having a heart attack. (laughs) He read a newspaper while they were trying to parallel park a car for the first time in preparation for a driving test. If I had to tell someone's son what a father really does that's that important it would be that he shows up for the job in the good times as well as the bad times he's a man who's constantly being observed by his children they learn from him how to handle adversity anger disappointment and success he won't laugh at their dreams no matter how impossible they may seem he'll go out at one a.m. when his children run out of gas he'll make unpopular decisions and stand by them. When he's wrong and makes a mistake, he will admit it. He sets the tone for how family members treat one another, members of the opposite sex and people who are different than they are. By example, he can instill a desire to give something back to the community when its needs are greater than theirs, but mostly a good father involves himself in his kids' lives the more, responsible he has, more responsibility he has for a child, the harder it is for him to walk out of his life. A father has a potential to be a powerful force in the life of a child. Grab it. Maybe you'll get a greeting card for your efforts, maybe not, but it's steady work. If you're here today and you're a dad or a mom who's struggled with this idea of loving parenting, your children. Accept what God has given to you. Rest in that. Find that. Because we all, if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we are all children of God.